Welcome, everybody, to another edition of Take the Hill podcast. So it's great to have you here this morning. And again, as before, it's our job to connect you with influential individuals who are exhibiting great leadership within their respective fields. And we have an incredible guest that we're looking forward to bring on this morning. And we'll get to her in just a moment. But first, I want to welcome back to the show, Dennis and Angelo. Hey. Good morning. Good to see you all. Likewise, it's wonderful to have you both here. So, so this morning, uh, we are honored and delighted to have with us Keisha Lalama, who is a full professor in the Conservatory of Performing Arts at Point Park University. So Keisha is a choreographer and an educator who has created more than 40 works to date. Right? Her conceived choreography, choreographed full-length dance theater production, The Bench, received rave reviews and was honored to be named one of Pittsburgh Post-Gazette's best of dance top 10 list. Awesome work, Keisha. And mm -hmm. she's also created works for companies such as Ballet Arkansas, Eisenhower Dance Ensemble, Houston Metropolitan Dance Company, the Jazz World Jazz Dance World Congress, Missouri Contemporary Ballet, Youth American Grand Prix, Kansas City Starlight Theater, and the film Sorority Row. Right. Keisha has also taught many master classes for workshops for Cirque du Soleil, Giordano Jance, Dance, Jazz Dance Chicago, Houston Metropolitan Dance Company, Eisenhower Dance Ensemble, Oakland University, Carnegie Mellon University, Wright State University, Chautauqua Regional Youth Ballet, Booker T. Washington High School for the Performing and Visual Arts, and the Dance Educators of America. And we could go on and on, Keisha, but I want to save some time for the conversation. And it's an <laughs> honor to have you. It's an honor to have you here this morning. I'm honored to be here. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to meet all of you too. Thank you. Thank you. Well, thank you so much. So Keisha, you are obviously connected, like you said, to both your craft as well as education. Um, you know, what are some of the projects you're working on right now? Uh, well, right now at the university, the dance department is pretty much up in full throttle. So we are dancing every single day on ground with our masks in our little boxes. And I have to say, you know, everyone's done a really good job. I feel as if the kids really want to be there. So they're taking it seriously. They're doing what they need to do. Uh, and it's been, it's, I, every time I see someone, they're like, how's it going? And everyone goes, it's not as bad as I thought it would be. So that's good. It's just different. I think change is always something scary, but uh, no. So the classes are happening every day, but the big project that we're working on right now is a dance concert. So we're doing a virtual dance concert. This weekend, they're actually running what we're calling Choreo Lab One, and it features four works from current professors at the university and the freshmen and, and juniors, right, the freshmen and junior students. And I'm currently in production and in rehearsals for the sophomore senior component of Choreo Lab 2. So it's really exciting and it's actually encouraged, I think, the faculty to kind of step out of our boxes. And instead of just doing a concert work in a proscenium theater type setting, it's challenged us to do things a little bit different, dance on film. What does that look like? What does it look like coming through a screen? So it's been, um, it's been really exciting. So that's a big project for us and it's, it's gonna be wonderful. And I think that's a really interesting point that you brought up. Um, you know, if you look at it from our perspective, you know, if you think about the performing arts, uh, each of your students and your faculty, I mean, I'm seeing not only resilience, but it's innovation, it's creativity. It's, you know, yes, we're kind of 
surviving in a pandemic right now, but you know what? What we're doing is important and we're gonna keep pushing forward. And like I said, I think that typifies you know, the individuals within the performing arts too. Do you think yeah, that's- Yeah, thank you for that. You're, I, it is about resilience. I mean, I feel like the arts are always struggling, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, if we had more funding, if we had more resources, it's a, it's a recurring conversation. But the one thing that artists do really well is bounce back or find new ways. There's always a way. If there's a will, there's a way. And so you're right. It, it's turned into something fantastic, but yeah. Awesome. And how about the kind of performing arts in Pittsburgh right now? Uh, do you see, even though you know, we're in this period of struggle, you know, some of the same kind of environments and cultures being created? Yeah, absolutely. It's been, um, it's interesting to see people come together and I feel as if we receive different kinds of support from different areas and now new things are being created. So that's really cool. Yeah. You know, I would have never have done a dance on film. I mean, I wouldn't say never, but you know, yeah. so yeah. So what, cool. what, type of, what type of new things are being created as a result of kind of almost being pushed into this, this position of, you know, we got to do things a little bit differently. As you said, you know, you may have never dreamed of dancing on film, right? That's but, right. But now, I think one of, the, I, one of the really cool things that I'm seeing is your bigger entities like Ailey, they're offering free live stream. So any dancer that hasn't had access, right, that maybe has never heard of Alvin Ailey is on Facebook or scrolling through Instagram can now watch performances for free. Wow. And those opportunities allowing children to see dance, allowing students to see dance, or even potential donors or sponsors, it's really kind of opened the... I don't want to know airwaves, but you know, viewing opportunities for people to really see art. And so um, I've seen dance companies go outside and they're recording performances that would have never happened. So I do think that there's lots of innovation happening. And I, I'm eager to see what happens in a year because a lot of companies are just getting back now. So I think they're in the middle of those creative processes and it'll be interesting to see the product, certainly. What's been the most amazing thing that you've saw? Oh, Cirque, hands down. Yeah. Anything Cirque. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I, I, Keisha, am more of an interdisciplinary art person. Yeah. So I love dance. I love musical theater. But the show that changed my life was Stomp. Right. Do you guys ever see Stomp? They're the ones with the brooms and the yep. buckets. Yep. And they make all kind of rhythm and sounds out of things you would never know actually offer rhythms and sounds, right? Pipes. Yeah rooms, uh, big gigantic garbage cans. And a friend of mine said, hey, I have this ticket. And I thought, I don't really want to go. I was in the second row and my life was changed. That was it. And so um, Stomp for me is a big deal. I love Blue Man Group, that kind of stuff. Uh, There was a show years ago by an Argentinian director. Forgive me, I don't remember his name. But it was for Zabruda in New York City. You walk into the theater and you're standing up. You never sit down. And so in a traditional theater, like something would be front, but then all of a sudden they, there's people that guide you through this space. And then this becomes front. And then the ceiling became a swimming pool. Oh, wow. And choreography, the the entire ceiling came down and you look up and people were swimming and there was choreography happening in a swimming pool above your head. I love that stuff. And my master's as an interdisciplinary arts because of it. I love the fusion and integration of ideas, concepts, and, and, and gifts, talents, con- you know, all those things. So, yeah. Um, you know, I, 
Keisha, I'm, it's very nice to meet you. And, so nice uh, you. you know, I, I have about one ounce of artistic uh, <laughs> in my inside of me, but I, I know very little about the arts. But but I, I, I when I was teaching face to face at uh, Point Park, I had a lot of dance students. And I love the dance students. They, they took my intro to business class all the time. And, and they, they were always committed. And uh, I mean, they were great students. But I guess I look at and I, I learned this from them, but most of them are, it's kind of like they're athletes or they are athletes in a way. And what athletes are facing like from colleges and high schools of getting into the profession right now, it's, it's very challenging. So how do you keep your students, uh, how do you keep that passion? Because I know they're very passionate about what they do and their professional goals alive during such a, such a time like this, during this pandemic. That's honestly, it's an excellent question. Within our classes, and I, I think I will say that Garfield Lamonius, the chair of our department, is an extraordinary visionary. He's a he's a great, great guy, and he's extremely talented. But the thing with Garfield is that it's always about the students first, the students first, the students first. And so I think Choreo Lab has given them the opportunity to see the light at the end of the tunnel, although a short like, you know, jaunt, you know, it's, it's within a semester, not long term. But what we've tried to do is create projects that allow them to apply their training. And I think that's the key. As long as you have something to keep going, then you will always keep going. But is that inspiration within the daily activities, the daily rituals, the daily uh, exercises, the regimen, all of those things, if you can keep those things interesting, then we'll keep going. I truly believe the industry is going to bounce back. I think it's going to bounce back in a different way. I think things might look a little different, which is, I think, important and necessary, especially if we're going to open up opportunities and become more inclusive as an art form. And that goes for theater as well. But I do think that it's, it's really about short term right now and little projects within the classes and those little breakthroughs. And what I'm finding for students that are younger that want that instant success, right? I want that contract with Ailey. I want that contract with the cruise ship. I want Broadway. I think it's important that they step back and recognize the small successes in the daily. Because those successes, that euphoric experience, it doesn't really, it's rare. And so I'm, I'm really finding that they are appreciating the now and the present more than ever. And that's what I certainly have been leaning into with some of the other professors. That was an excellent question. Thank you for that. You get it. <laughs> <laughs> and I think you raise a really valid point because sometimes, like you said, regardless of your discipline and who you are, you're always, like you said, looking at that that target at the end of the yeah. end of the journey when, you know, that that not only is somewhat unrealistic, but at the same time, it's, you're missing all of those short-term wins and you're not part of the journey. And how much are you missing out by not being present you know, for each of those little moments along the way? So which leads to, I think my next question is, what drives you? So I honestly, um, I get that question a lot. And I think what drives me is my passion. I, I come from a family of athletes and artists and it's kind of all we know. We've been fighters from the very beginning. So I was a trained gymnast. And um, with that, you, you, there's a drive that comes with that, an instinct, a gut instinct. And gymnastics for me, again, I, I feel like gymnastics, there has to be like a little bit of crazy that goes with that. 
um, to be able to run and do flips twice in a row, land on your feet, the balance beam is very narrow, but you decide to flip on it because that makes sense to you when you're eight. And uh, <laughs> I just feel like, um, you know, there's a passion, there's a gut instinct, and it's always been kind of embedded with, with me. My family is huge and it's go get it, go get it, but work hard. And so that's, I think, where it comes from. But in my role as an educator and an arts administrator, um, and certainly with the Pittsburgh CLO, uh, I'm the director of community engagement there, and I oversee six education programs. So for me, the passion lives within the idea of creating opportunities for kids that may not have necessarily ever had that resource or exposure or open door. And so it's, it's always been about, um, if I were to look back, it's, it's building new programs and creating opportunities or uh, projects that are, that are new that create opportunities. And that's really what fuels me in the long run. But it's all, you know, it's all rooted in passion. There's definitely, there's, yeah. So can you teach passion? You can't. Yeah. I, uh, I made the kids watch the movie Rudy once because, ah. you know, dancers are so technical. They're just technique, technique, technique. But along the way, for some reason in dance, the, the soul gets sucked out of you and you're like, I'm not pretty enough. I'm not skinny enough. My body's not perfect enough because you're constantly training in front of a mirror and judging yourself. It's all self-inflicted. So for me, I made them watch the movie Rudy. And I said, you know, it's the opposite, right? This kid is all heart. He's all heart. That's all I got. He's like this little, everyone else is gigantic and big. And Rudy gets up there every day. He shows up early. He stays late. You can't teach passion and you can't teach heart. They didn't even know why I made them watch the movie. So I said, okay, guys, you know, there, there was a missing link at that time. But the generations have changed over 20 years, right? And I feel like these kids are realizing that social media might not be good. It might not be a good influence all the time. What are the one of the things I think, and I, and I think Rudy is an excellent example, uh, because it's, it's that story about somebody who is, I think, preparing and preparing and preparing, like we do, you know, if we have a lot of drive or passion built into us, so that when that moment comes, we're ready to go, right? So it, it, it was inevitable that he was going to have success because, again, whether, and I forget if it was the last play of his senior year or whatever it was when he got put in, I mean, mm -hmm. there's a reason that you saw what happened happened. All right. So again, if, if we go back and we capture that mindset that again, my moment will come, I have a very clear vision of where I want to go, be it Broadway, be it, you know, wherever that might be. Mm -hmm. But I know if I practice and practice and practice and I work hard, I'm going to get noticed, right? Cause I'm doing the things that are going to get me to where I need to go. Right. And that kind of ties back to your earlier point that again, you got to have a focus on here and now and be present and those short-term wins. Right. Yeah. And I think long-term, the thing is want. What does it really mean to want something, right? And just because yeah. dance is comfortable for you doesn't mean you're going to get Broadway. You have to work for it. You have to want it. Because if you really want something, the passion is there. And then that ignites your fire to train and show up every day and stay late and do the extra stuff. Yeah. And I think that, um, you know, I, the younger students, they, there's a, if they want it, they just go get it. They go to Dunkin' Donuts, they order Starbucks on their phone, and then it's there. They just go grab it, right? You want something on Amazon, you type it in and it comes to you. So want is a different kind of thing right now because whatever they want, they just can order it and get it yesterday. 
And so I think there's a, that you have to teach them to go back to their organic state, their raw human will and ignite that want and desire and then give them the tools to succeed. So I, I have found that that's the best way to kind of, if I had to teach passion and heart, it's reminding them, do you really want it? And then giving them the tools to go get it. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. It does. Um, I know Dennis here. Go ahead, Dennis. So one of the things that you think about when you think about passion is failure, right? Because you're going to experience failure somewhere along the line. How do you teach that, you know, that vision that you've had might not be right for you, right? Maybe, maybe it's not to say that it's out of your reach, but maybe you're a better fit over in this particular genre or style. But even though you have a deep-seated drive that you really think you want to be over here, how do you, how do you have those conversations? That's a great conversation. They can be heartbreaking too, right? So when you're yeah. 18 years old, you see yourself as one thing. Like, I want to be a rockette and I'm four foot nine. We should probably have a talk about the realities of that, you know? <laughs> So I think it's exposure. I think it's definitely educating. And then what I've learned is instead of imposing what I think it is for them, allowing them to come to it. And as long as they're doing the education and as long as they're exposing themselves, they find, they tend to find their, their thing. And there's been dancers where I thought would go to one of the top companies like David Parsons who have come into my office at the end of graduation, at end of senior year before graduation and said, I'm good, I'm gonna go do some physical training and become a physical trainer and teach Pilates. So I've learned that whatever my goal is for them to let go of it, because they, they do necessarily come through. And I think that's what is uh, one of our strongest suits at Point Park is that we give you so many opportunities and expose you to every realm of the art form that eventually you find your way. Thank you, Keisha. I, I think you might have already answered this, but um, I, I, um, I, I look at dancers as athletes. And again, I learned that from uh, being exposed to many of the dancers in my classrooms. And but I, I guess when they change their mind, that's one thing. And you can go on passion, but... But what about these injuries? I know that they would come into class, some of them just hobbling or they'd be off for a long time because of pulled muscles or whatever. But what happens if they like uh, they sustain a, an injury that's life-changing? How do you encourage them to go on? Or how? Wh what, what advice do you give them? Yeah, so the, the, I think the most difficult thing for dancers and any athlete, certainly, uh, is rest, <laughs> right? Um, and I, I've suffered knee injuries. And so my, my professional dance career never happened because my knee injuries kept getting in the way. And so I feel as if when you share those stories, then it becomes relatable. And then they listen to you because you can say, if you don't take care of this now, if you don't hit pause, you're never going to have the opportunity to reset fully. And so I've had those conversations with dancers, but you know, we, we have more information now than we did 20 years ago, 30 years ago. I just aged myself out. 
you know, that's that passion thing, right? Drive. I just kept going and kept going and kept going and never took care of it. I'm like, it'll be fine. I'll just keep going. And then all of a sudden you tear your MCL and ACL and it's over and you don't do the, the rehab and you're not listening to the doctors. And, you know, so I feel as if we do have information now and we do have trainers on site that you know, provide you the steps, again, in that word tools, to make sure that you have long-term sustainability. And the training has changed too, to really deter injury. So I feel like several of those factors definitely contribute to less injury and, and more information to protect yourself. Yeah, that's probably a really good piece of advice, because I know, I think it was two years ago, I ruptured my uh, Achilles tendon, um, yeah. playing basketball, right? Because I've played basketball my whole life. And it was, as you said, it's one of those things where I know my brain was thinking faster than my body was responding, right? Yeah. But still though, like you just push and you push and you push because you're an athlete, right? That's right. And, but again, like you said, it was obviously that my training didn't keep up as it should have. But yeah, that that conversation or that realization, even myself where, uh, where not that I have stopped playing basketball, but it's, you know, I'm not going to go get in a pickup game with 20 year olds anymore. <laughs> right. Uh, right. Right. Yeah. It's a whole, it's uh, yeah. And I feel that's part of it too. Right. When you're 12 and 13, you put on point shoes and don't even know you can get hurt. Right. And yeah. then you're dancing <laughs> and you're 15 and 16 and you're dancing in a performing arts high school all day and then going somewhere all night. Then all of a sudden you're 25 and going, Oh, I don't know about that. <laughs> you know? And so we try to provide them with um, just basic understanding of your physical body long-term and how it changes. I mean, I, I certainly struggle. I have two major athletic boys. Uh, Jax throws discus, shot put, weight, and hammer at Bucknell, my, my little one, my 20-year-old who's gigantic. <laughs> and then uh, my 22-year-old is training to be a pro. And so he works with a coach out of Indianapolis and he throws discus and these two, I mean, they've really taught me how to pace myself. And so I'm seeing them lift 500 pounds over their head and, and throwing discus and I'm like, yeah. And it gets me again, that drive, that passion can often get in my way. But I'm, I mean, I'm old. I, I do, I do my push-ups and my sit-ups, but I've learned, I suffered again, Patrick, it's the same kind of thing, a major injury in my IT band. And it's taken me three years to kind of get back to even walking without a limp. And so these are things that I hope that we're training the students now to, to be smarter in their efforts. And certainly the recover period is necessary to make sure they can sustain a long-term career because it's brutal. Exactly what you said, Dennis, it is, it's brutal on the body, like an athlete. It's the same thing. Well, I've certainly what, gotten, what, um, oh, I'm sorry, Patrick. Um, what, so what happens after dance? I know that it's again, like athletes, um, you know, yeah. their lifespan, what, maybe thirties, forties. I don't know. I'm just guessing, but w what happens after dance? Yeah, that's a, that's an excellent question as well. You're on fire today. All right. <laughs> so I, uh, you know, uh-huh. Mm -hmm. So I feel like, uh, I, there's so many different avenues, right? So I've seen dancers that are rockets become the rehearsal director. So you can go down the road to be what is considered the person in front of the room, the person that becomes a leader that rehearses the dances, or even an artistic director, someone who takes over a dance company. 
on Broadway, you might transition to become a choreographer or director. We have a great, um, Ahmad Simmons is a great alumni from our university. He's kind of shifting into that role now. Um, and as he, you know, dancing is great and everything, but he wants more. So he wants to go into directing, choreographing and producing. And I know that he'll be successful. He has a gift for all of those things. I've seen dancers, uh, Cheryl Mann, another graduate from the program. She's gone on to become one of the top dance photographers in the country. She's amazing. And so then I've seen people retire and go into teaching yoga or Pilates or uh, I, I've seen students double major and then end up going into law. I mean, I, you know, it's, it's kind of all over the place. I feel as if there's a dancer discipline thing that allows you the opportunity to definitely evolve afterwards into something else that might be of interest to you. And I think that the one thing again, that Point Park does really well, is teach you that dance is a thing that you do. It doesn't define you. You're a human first and certainly have a gift for art to become an artist. But if you know who you are, you'll find long-term happiness in life. And so as much as you lose dancing, and you know, we've heard stories about NFL football players and just kind of depression and I don't really want to go into it, but we know of the suicides and things that happen because there's no kind of um, afterlife. We try to create an opportunity for them to see the whole picture for even later of what could be there for you. So, you know, it's, it, it's depressing. It could be as if your whole world is gone, but it's not that a whole world is gone, just that chapter is finished. And now what's next and trying to find the joy and excitement in that. So that, that is something that we start training, you know, teaching and exposing them to as well early. It's important. Yeah, and that's such I a, yeah, yeah. I, I would 100% agree. And that's such a very, I mean, it's such a really important concept, right? This idea that, as you said, you know, we are human beings, but we have this particular skill set and this talent, right? And it really, even though it's what we do, it doesn't necessarily define the full range of who we are. Um, which is why I love education so much, because again, I could still be connected to the things that I'm passionate about, but yet I can use the opportunities that I'm afforded to help others achieve their own you know, goals, dreams, whatever they might be. So what most amazes you about the younger generation? I mean, so, ah, so I think... <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll start with the negative first, because okay. I do think that I think what's, what, I'm, when, what most surprises me is that there, the lack of connectivity between having a machine that they can research anything and discover anything they want, but they don't take the time to be curious and really dig. So that always surprises me. And I don't know why, and I, I, I shouldn't be surprised, but that, I mean, you said surprise, and that's, I always have that conversation that you have this Google opportunity to type anything in and then click on anything that interests you and go further and go further and go further. But it surprises me that they don't have that. Yeah, the, the phone. Yeah, it's, it's right here. <laughs> it's at your fingertips, but you'd rather just kind of scroll through Instagram and TikTok now and whatever the other one is, but you know, it's, it's Snapchat. There it is. Hey, gummy. Uh, but you know, it's, it's, they're more interested. I'm so excited that I remembered, but I, um, it's interesting that they don't dig, you know, but then the other thing that's surprising is they're so smart. 
their intellect is there and the curiosity is there. There's just a disconnect in them realizing that that is, that is there. The um, just basic opportunity is at your fingertips and your phone. So I think that's always interesting, but they are, I do feel that these kids coming up the last five years, especially really want to make positive change and are definitely more inclusive. And um, so I don't know that that surprises me, but that would be the positive side of it. They, and they want to know how to fix it. Yeah. And that's such an interesting point because again, each of us have sat in classes before where, you know, Hey, I'm asking you a question and everybody's sitting there with their cell phones kind of sitting on the desk in front of them, but they're not necessarily utilizing the resources that are available to them to actually answer the questions. And I, I almost have to stop and just say, Hey guys, gals, like, it's all right here. Like, don't be afraid to use this as a mechanism to learn more or dig deeper. But on the other hand, you're absolutely right in terms of their commitment or you know alignment with social causes or whatever it might be. You know, I, I have found that, and and tell me if you've seen this too. The more that I challenge my students and the more that I really push them, the more that they respond. Right? Because I I think there's always been this at least at least in, in some of our classes, I've, I've noticed that like, faculty are seemingly almost afraid to push them too much because they don't want to overbear, overburden them or give them something that's a little bit more complicated. But I'm like, keep doing it. Right? You are going to be so surprised at what you're going to see happen the more that I push them. Yeah, they may grumble and yell and moan a little bit at me like, well, why are you making me do this? And But at the end, the the outcome is usually beyond even my expectations in, in most of the time. Do you think it, uh, it has something to do with we just live in this instantaneous society and that we have created, we have to like retrain them that everything just doesn't come instantly that, uh, you know, there's going to have, there's going to require some effort and some work and it isn't just like pulling up to a window and saying, Hey, give me a cheeseburger and boom, it's there in two <laughs> seconds, you know? Uh, that actually you're going to have to do something uh, more than this instant gratification type thing. Uh, and I would think that would be with dancers for sure, uh, because yeah. of, uh, I mean, the hard work and years that it takes to perfect something. So again, that's just my, my take. No, I mean, you're right. I, uh, it's, it's really interesting. I, so I'm, I'm tough, right? I'm the tough love teacher. And uh, it's, they enjoy it. And so I feel as if, you know, oh, it's so hard. I'm never going to be able to do it. And then I get self-assessments at midterm saying, I can't believe that I was capable of doing this. I never knew I had that kind of strength. Thank you. And it's one of those things where I do think, again, that word resilience, Patrick, kids are resilient. People are resilient. But I think that, you know, we're dumbing things down so far, especially, I mean, I don't want to knock high school education, but I mean, I know my boys going through the system thought that it was just um, testing for the test, all those things we've heard. And it's, you're not challenging these kids. My son took an AP course that was supposed to be about critical thinking and the teacher scripted him, handed him a script to have a critical discussion about a reading that they had. And then he questioned it, thank goodness, because he's my child, but <clears throat> we should be challenging. And it's one of those things where as soon as you, this is what I've learned. You give them, you go here, they go here. Then you go here and they go here. And I have never seen a student fail. 
I, I honestly haven't. And, and, but it's encouragement. You're not beating them down. It's positive reinforcement telling them they can. And the minute you tell someone that they're capable of doing something, they might actually believe that. And then it happens. <laughs> and I think that's when the magic starts kind of like surfacing, right? And so I feel that's one big shift in the teaching is back in the day, we would get screamed at and told you're never going to make it. That would drive us. My generation was told that and we, that would ignite this fire inside of us. And then I would say, oh, you don't think that I can do that? Okay, now I'm going to do it. These students, this generation actually doesn't have confidence and that surprises me. And so we have to encourage them. We can't deny that that's a real thing. So how do we change as educators to get into their psyche and make sure that we're providing them what they need? And I think instead of teaching my way, the way I was taught, I've had to change all of my teaching strategies. And I've learned that by telling them they can, they actually do. And that has changed everything. So that's kind of fun. Yeah, it really is. And I, one of the things that I did uh, in, in an organizational behavior class was, you know, I, I literally walked in and I said, okay, we kind of have a blank syllabus right now, right? Usually you're used to getting this handed to you and say, okay, here's the rules for the semester. I said, let's build it. And we spent a week building it and they engaged, but what really freaked them out at the end, I said, okay, we now have a contract. I'm going to hold you to the standards that you created. Yes. <laughs> and honestly, Honestly, the response that semester, I've never had a more engaged class in you know, the, how many years I've been teaching, right? And it's interesting, like you said, you, you, you have to, as you said, like you're gonna go here, they're gonna go here. You just gotta change the way that you do things, right? You're still doing what you would do as an educator, right? You're just changing the techniques and the tactics and, and the, the operations, exactly. so to speak. Um, but it's, it's exciting. But again, it comes back to that point of, we're challenging them. Right. And, and like you had said, I, I do think they, for some reason, have a little less confidence in themselves. But the moment that they start to realize, hey, I do have a little bit of control over this or I can do this, you know, that, that corner is, is turned a little bit. You know. So here, we're going to throw another tough question at you, Keisha. What do you think or what, from your perspective, will be your legacy when you look back? Oh, Paul. Oh. <laughs> I um well you know so I'll start with Jake and Jacks my boys are my life and so I um you know I'm so proud of who they are as human beings Jake is a writer uh he just finished his second manuscript he's incredibly artistic we did a show together at Point Park last year about and before and uh <clears throat> I kept writing the show and writing the show and he said this is the female perspective and so he brought in the younger male perspective, which helped really kind of balance that story. And um, Jax is extraordinary too. I mean, I, I, he's going to Bucknell, he's a triple major. Uh, he's a division one athlete. And um, I think that, you know, my whole life has been, I'm a single mom, not complaining at all, um, have pretty much done it on my own for the last 10 years. And so my passion, what drives me is making sure that I'm providing my children with everything that they need. The irony is that when I say, oh, my kids, people look at me that know me and go, your students or your actual kids? <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know, I, um, I think my legacy will simply be that I care too much, maybe. You know, I, and I'm okay with that. I, I care and I wanna make change and I wanna provide these kids with a positive opportunity. And um, 
a positive environment that encourages them encourages them to believe that they can achieve anything they want. Um, along the lines with yes, hard work and you you have to show up every day and all those things. Yes, but um, I don't know. I think my legacy will probably be that I'm definitely a caring and loving person and will give you anything that I possibly can to help you. So I still talk to all of our alumni. You know, they call. I love them. I don't. You know, all those things. I think that's been hard, Patrick. And, and Dennis, you can certainly attest to this as a, as a teacher too. I feel as if the kids need us now more than ever emotionally, but because of all the issues in society, we've put up walls. And so I try to find ways to still be there for them without certainly crossing any line whatsoever. But um, in the arts, it's a little complicated because, you know, there's, a, there's an emotional need there that that is a little bit different maybe and those conversations are a little bit more personal because art is an emulation of life and they, they're trying to explain their life stories and it gets a little challenging sometimes and for me I, I care so yeah. Keisha I want to jump in here I uh, similar to Dennis he had referenced that uh, he taught a lot of dancers at Point Park I have recently started uh, facilitating uh, classroom instruction as well. I teach a, a mainly University 101 uh, class, which is a freshman uh, orientation style class. And I have a lot of dancers um, in my classes as well. And I love all my students, but there's certainly something about the dancers. There is an energy, an aura. There's a drive, a motivation. I never have to follow up with them. Like they, everything's on time. Um, but to be honest with you though, with all of that, with the pressures that you mentioned, um, and I also come from uh, a family uh, that, that has hands in the arts. Um, my, my cousin's Kenny Gargaro, who um, used to run productions. Ah! Oh, yes. Yeah, so I've been in this realm. <laughs> uh, I'll, if you know Kenny, I'll tell him you said hello. Um, give it my love. Yeah. Um, I will. And so I grew up in this, um, this realm, you know, and I understand the pressures. Uh, I see a mental health component in all students in this generation. I see it actually a lot with the dancers, you know, because not only do they have the pressures of academics, but they similar to like as any other athlete, they have this other pressure, right? Uh, to add to the, to just this, this theme and topic for you to respond to this week, I actually, I always start my classes by asking students, tell me something good in your life. What's just going good today before we even dive into our stuff. And, and Keisha, I had two dancers in my class yesterday say that what's good in their life is, is that they're back to performing that I, I guess they're doing like this film series, right? Where they're being, um, they're on stage being recorded. And then I guess it's like a $5 charge. I'm not as privy to it, but it's accessible now for students and other dancers to watch these performances. They are now on the stage dancing. They were saying how the lights of the stage made them feel better, almost like the sun, you know, like getting out in the sun does. Are you seeing like going into this semester, like concern with mental health? Are you still seeing that? Or are you seeing it start to maybe turn a corner because they are doing what they love to do and they're back on the stage? I will say that it's turning a corner. So, I mean, I even found myself cause I, you know, I have two full-time jobs. I travel the country and then I'm coming to you from my basement. Hey, right. And so me, it doesn't, it doesn't even work for me. And I found myself slipping into this um, rut 
which is really odd for me. So showing up every day, I see a, a light in their eyes. And then again, having that show, that concert at the end gives everyone something to work towards. So I'm showing up every day and I get to go on stage. And that's, that's really interesting too, but there's something about the arts that's different in person. You can't, you know, dance is okay through Zoom, but that's what I'm talking about in regard to caring and that humanity and mental health. And there's something about art that needs to be tangible. And when you enter the studio, it's a sacred place. So Keisha, as, as we get closer to, to the end of the show, um, you know, one of the things that becomes very illuminated over the course of our discussion here is, you know, the energy and passion and purpose that you really bring uh, to not only the classroom, but just your life in general. Um, and you certainly experience that. And I will testify, you know, you walk around campus and you, you know, when you're in the conservatory, there's just an energy. Uh. <laughs> I, so and it's but it's so true and it's you know and going back in early in my career when you get back into our dissertation projects which is so long ago I mean that's exactly what I researched right so from an organizational perspective right here I am walking around you know the school of business or the school of arts and science and then I walk into the conservatory and it's just palpable all right I don't even need to be in the classroom there's just a palpable culture of energy excitement vibrancy right? in my whole vision was how can I capture and replicate that and make the rest of these schools feel the exact same way so you know that no doubt has came through here today and so I guess my parting question really is what excites you about tomorrow for me I mean I, I wake up every day and I'm eager to see what's going to happen and the joy that that day will bring I'm, I'm a very positive person but I have found that, you know, I have to show up every day. I have a lot of people counting on me. I have a lot of responsibility. Uh, I think I have a responsibility for myself to be the best me. And if I can bring that to the table every single day, I do believe that energy elevates the room. If I walk in and sit in a chair, there's a 50% connection there. I don't really want to be there. But if I'm up and we're laughing and telling stories and I have found that positive energy is infectious, but it also, um, it brings me joy. So mm -hmm. I, uh, I don't, uh, I've, you know, everybody has terrible trauma in their life or some terrible things that have happened, but I have always found a way to kind of put it, uh, flip it and make sure that I've learned something from it or, or empower myself through that. But, um, you know, a long time ago, people would tell me, you know, you're a lot, you have so much energy, you know, you look like you're fake and these kinds of, no, it's just who I am. I'm, I think I'm funny. <laughs> so, I mean, I just, I'm a, I, I stopped apologizing for being spirited. And when I allowed myself to be me, what it does is elevate the whole room too. And uh, I just, I'm a positive person and I love life. It is really that simple. The small things, the big things. I think life is fascinating. I think there are horrible things in this world as well. But uh, if I continue to find the joy, then I, I can help others find it too. So, well, Keisha, I got to say that uh, this has been uh, really exciting today. And, uh, you know, yeah. and I just have that connection because I, I've taught so many dance students. Now, I didn't get to teach them dance. And if that was the case, they'd probably be in trouble. Well, imagine uh, me teaching uh, what you guys teach. So yeah, I mean, the, only, how that goes. the only injury I get is an elbow injury from uh, eating hot dogs. But, you know, <laughs> um, 
I, I really appreciate um, <laughs> Patrick's laughing, but you know, he made two statements today uh, alluding to his age getting older. So I don't want to get blamed for it this time. Okay, I understand. But, uh, but I got to say, it's been a pleasure. You are funny. I, I can just tell. And, um, you know, again, and this is, this is just from the heart. Again, having so many dance students, I don't think it's just the students that, that, that make them, I mean, it's just not them themselves that make them such great students, because they are. Uh, I'll go right along with Angelo saying that they never laid on anything, they never, but that says a lot about their professors in the, in the core, in their core discipline, and, and, and says a lot about you, that you, that you work hard to make sure that they, uh, that they do the best that they can. So I appreciate that. And um, I'll tell you, I, I just enjoyed listening to your stories and that. And I hope I get an opportunity in the future to, uh, I think I have met you face to face before, but it was in a, in a slight, but I would like to sit down next time you have lunch with Patrick, invite me. Oh, absolutely. This uh, is happening. And I'll make sure I'm there and, and uh, we can just, uh, we can talk again. I would I, it was a pleasure that. having you tonight today. Oh, it was my honor. You guys are awesome. The conversation was great. I mean, just hearing your thoughts and ideas and, and thank you for sharing as well. And Angelo, I'm sure you, I have so many freshmen. So tell them that we met each other. Well, you know, I actually, as I, Patrick had asked me leading up a week ago to this, um, this conversation, if I was familiar with you and the name at first did not ring a bell, but as I've been sitting here and hearing you talk, we did an assignment in my class and I teach two sections of this. So I have a lot of these students and we did an assignment where they had to interview somebody from point park. I had at least four students that have interviewed you. I was, I was actually trying to pull up while we were doing this, like some of these and maybe read like some of the things they said, because I didn't get that fast or far. So that's not happening, but they said such amazing things about you. And, and I, I mean, those could have been podcast episodes themselves because the transcripts they provided were pretty lengthy too, which was great. Uh, and it's so cool, like how things kind of come full circle sometimes and like how your name was there in front of me and, and here it is, you're in front of me now. And I, I actually want to say one thing that really resonated with me here at the very, very end, you're talking about being like really spirited and how people would say to you maybe that it comes off a little fake, like this energy and this um, positivity. At a, at a previous uh, employment that I had, I was in a uh, training program where I was asked to go around to people in the company and ask them to say, what was your first impression of me and what is it now? And I'd asked three people and all three people came to me and said that when we first met you, the energy and like this positivity thing that you do like came off super fake. And we just thought that you were trying to suck up to people and try to just like play the system. And then three years later, we're like, yo, this dude's still here every day an hour early. And he's still like super happy and super positive and energetic. And honestly, I was told I had an inflated sense of self and it ruined me for a couple of years. It made me go into a shell because I was like, wow, is this really the way people think of me? I've just felt like I was trying to be positive, you know, but I, hearing you say that has really made like confirmed in me to just be who you are and, and, and go with it and don't be ashamed about it. And this life is way too short to go into a shell or to let people tell you to, to, to suck up that energy. I just appreciate you saying that and everything you do for our students. It's, it's incredible. Thank you. And I, I mean, I'll tell you the one thing I've learned, don't ever dim your light for anybody. Let it shine. Cause that's who you are. And if people are, you know, intimidated by that or fearful of that, it's their own self-inflicted, whatever. 
uh, I, that's one thing I've learned and I, I stopped apologizing for it a while ago, but oh, good. I'm glad. Don't ever dim your light. No. Okay. Well, I'm going to turn it on. I'm going to yes! turn it on. Turn it on and turn it up, Angelo. Oh, you guys are wonderful. Like. This was amazing. Thank you. Well, thank you, Keisha. I, like I said, you're a dear friend and you've now become a dear friend of the show. And without a doubt, you know, we're, we're going to keep bugging you to come on back on the show in the near future. Uh, you know, let's keep having these conversations. Okay. And I think the, you know, the quote that comes to mind to me as we kind of wrap things up here, you know, it's that idea of don't adapt, you know, to the energy in the room, right? Influence the energy in the room. Right? And I think each of you have in your own ways exhibited that exact mentality. All right. And like you said, don't turn off the light, you know, keep being who you are. Uh, you know, so as we look forward, you know, we're going to make sure that our listeners and our audience knows how to stay connected to you. You know, we'll make sure that Keisha, they have your website um, and anything else that, you know, we could do to help you promote not only what you're doing, but what your students are doing and the conservatory doing, you know, we're big fans of, you know, all of you and, and what you do because it does bring so much light into our lives. And uh, again, we just thank you for, for coming on the show today. It's been an honor. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you. Thank you. And we'll do lunch thank soon. You. Thank Absolutely. you. Absolutely. All right, listeners. Well, thank you again for tuning into our episode with Keisha Lalama. I will put her contact information on her website in the show notes so you can stay up to date as to all of the ongoings and the amazing work that she's doing, uh, not only here uh, within the conservatory, but within the region of the United States and even globally. So again, don't adapt your energy. Keep being who you are. And we'll see you on a future episode of Take the Hill. All right. Take care, everybody. Thank you.